Let's go straight into the Word of God and take up where we left off this morning in our study of angels. We had brothers just read to us Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, where the angel of the Lord came and delivered Peter from prison. Peter was sleeping peacefully, as I told my family last night in devotions. He was so sound asleep, he needed to be prodded in order to awake. This is the same man that uh, in a boat at sea, in a storm, thought it was unbecoming of the Lord Jesus to sleep because he was so scared. But now he's in prison and he was sleeping peacefully, so much so that he didn't see the light. He had to be prodded by the angel and the angel led him out of prison. Now that's not the first time that Peter had been led out of prison by an angel. Maybe that's why he was resting so comfortably. Because if we go back to Acts chapter 4 and 5, he was put in prison. The angel of the Lord took him out one night and said, Go right back where you were and take up preaching the words of this life again. Which he did. But in the second half of that chapter, the angel of the Lord did something very different, didn't he? He smote Herod Agrippa I with worms, and so he died. Because he did not give God the glory, and angels want men to give God the glory because they are servants for the glory of God. Remember, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the holy ones. It is angels that came down and decreed that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be an animal for seven years to learn the lesson that he ought to give God the glory for the position that he had over the kingdom of Babylon. And so the angel took care of Herod Agrippa I. And then we read there in Revelation chapter 5 that the angels gave honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And four of those great angels called beasts said, Amen. Now you know when someone enthusiastically and loudly says Amen in this assembly, it stirs my heart a little and I hope it stirs your heart a little. But can you imagine when the four beasts say Amen? Why is that sentence even in the Bible, except it must be one glorious thing? I think the closest I've ever heard to it is Handel, in his writing of the Messiah, takes about five minutes to end that oratorio by a five-minute amen at the end. And uh, so he was trying to dramatize Revelation 5.14 through music of those four beasts. The functions of angels, what do they do for us? Well, angels love to worship God, and they help us do it, and they do it themselves. Look at Psalm 148 with me. Let's just turn to a number of passages and use the time that we have to see what the Word of God has to say about angels. Psalm 148 and verses 1 and 2. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. So when we speak of the Lord of hosts, and we think of a king leading an army, that is a biblical thought, but let's also remember that when we read the Bible days, these hosts love to praise God. And that's why they were speaking with a loud voice in Revelation chapter 5. Now we sang a song this, this afternoon, Hark, the herald angels sing. I don't know why we have to restrain that song to some pagan time of the year when people are celebrating Saturnalia or its whitewashed Roman Catholic version called Christ's Mass. We ought to be able to sing that all year long, which we just did, because it's a gospel song. 
It has, as it was mentioned by our song leader, every phrase in it was packed with gospel truth taken from some verse of the New Testament. And we are thankful for those angels that burst forth over the fields of Judea and announced the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they were doing that because God in heaven had said in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, Let all the angels of God worship Him. When He bringeth the first begotten into the world, He said, Let all the angels of God worship Him. Do you understand that those mighty angels, and they are called in the Bible mighty angels, had to worship a little baby in a manger? And as a full-grown man, we are far inferior to the angels, but a little baby obtained the worship of the angelic host because he was the Son of God. And they would continue to worship him. The angels worship. Look at Job chapter 38. They worshiped God and sang praises when God created. Job chapter 38 and verse 7. There's lots of interesting things in the book of Job. As these five wise men exchanged things that God had taught them. Though four of them certainly misapplied those things. Job 38 and verse 7. Let's get verse 6 because it gives us our context. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Speaking of the the creation of the earth. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Angels are called in the Bible morning stars. They're called watchers. They're called holy ones. They're called elect angels. They're called the four beasts, the cherubim, the seraphim. And here they are called the sons of God shouted for joy. Sons of God because God had created them. Adam's called a son of God because God created him and the angels are called the sons of God. They're the only creatures that were around when God laid the foundation of the earth. But we can see that angels worship. So when we think about angels, what were they created for? We come back to what we know about everything. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Proverbs 16.4 Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The angels exist for the pleasure of God, and they're a higher order of being than we are, So let me ask you this very simple question. Why do you exist? For the glory and pleasure of God. We exist for the glory and pleasure of God, and we give Him glory and pleasure when we praise Him like the angels do. That is why we sing. That's why we read His Word. We want to praise Him and give Him glory. Angels reveal things. The Bible tells us over and over that the law was given to the nation of Israel by the disposition of angels. Look at Acts 7 in the, in the sermon by Stephen for one example. What do angels do? They reveal things to men. Now, we don't need angels to reveal very much to us because we've got the full Bible. But before there was a full Bible, angels had to come and tell men. That's why Daniel had Gabriel come and visit him, because he couldn't read Daniel 7 through 12. Daniel couldn't read Daniel 7 through 12 because Daniel had to write it for us to be able to read it. We don't need Gabriel coming and telling us what's in Daniel 7 through 12 because we can read it. But in Acts chapter 7 and verse 53, here's Stephen concluding his sermon. 
And he said about the Jews who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. They've received the law by the disposition of angels. When you go back and look in Deuteronomy chapter 33, God came down with his angels on Mount Sinai. Hebrews 2.2 2 tells us about it. That God revealed the law to Moses and to Israel by his angels. And of course, they revealed many things to the prophets. Now look at Acts chapter 8. And we'll see him them revealing something else. Acts 8.26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Philip, who had been a deacon, who had been now an evangelist and was preaching in the city of Samaria, got a message from an angel. I want you to go out in the desert. And he told him right where in the desert he ought to be. And he arose and went, and did he meet someone? Did the angel know that someone was going to be there about such and such a time and run into Philip? And that's where we meet our Ethiopian eunuch brother. And Philip met him. He was reading Isaiah 53. Philip preached to him Jesus. The eunuch saw some water, an oasis came up. And he said, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? We had that whole exchange. But an angel got that started by telling Philip where to be. Are you thankful for angels? You do not see them. You do not hear them. So you do not know the roles that they have played in your life in getting you under the sound of the gospel. Right. You don't know it. But we see from the Bible example that they're very active in it. Angels serve. Angels are servants. They're God's servants and they're our servants. I want us to look at that verse in Matthew chapter 18 where we're told that they are servants for little ones that believe on Jesus as well as larger ones. Matthew chapter 18. Children, there's no one in here young enough that the angels don't protect. You're not too young for angels to take care of you. I'm thankful that when I was four and having those nightmares that my mother told me about angels. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10 Jesus told His disciples, Take heed, take heed, that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of My Father which is in heaven. You do not want to mess with the little charges that are given to the angels that are always in the presence of God. Because if you mess with even one, notice how the Lord emphasized it, If you mess with even one of those little ones, their angels are in the presence of God and you will answer for it. Because God is going to take care of His little ones and so we want to take care of them. Every child in this assembly is important to us. As I've taught you in the past, it'll just be a blink of a few eyes. And these little children will be grandparents in this assembly. And we want to love them now and treat them with honor and respect like the Bible expects us to. They don't rule our assemblies, nor do we let them lead us. But we do understand that God protects them. And that the angels are their servants. You know what the Bible tells us in Luke 15? Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. What do the angels in heaven do when one sinner repents? They rejoice. The angels are servants. So they get excited when they see a sinner repent of his sins. 
Because they're working for the glory of God and they're working for the advantage of our souls. They rejoice when we repent. It says in Luke 15 and verse 10, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. One sinner can set off the angels of God when he repents. That's because they care about our souls and they are created and charged to serve us. And they love to see us prospering. And repentance is one of the great signs of prosperity in a person's life that you have been convicted by the God of heaven, granted repentance to deliver yourself from the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. What is the proof that God has delivered you from the snare of the devil? The gift of repentance, which is a gift from God and God does not give it to all men. It is something you should be thankful for every day that you feel it. Whenever you know inside yourself that you've been convicted that something you are thinking, saying, or doing is wrong, God has granted you that gift. Use it. Humble yourself before the God of heaven and turn from your wicked ways. And when you do that, the Bible tells us the angels of God rejoice. The Lord Jesus Christ had angels galore. In John chapter 1 and verse 51, Nathanael was impressed that Jesus saw him under a fig tree and knew his name. But Jesus told Nathanael, you're going to see a whole lot more than that. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Angelic power was going to be displayed on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ extensively. And so throughout the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had enormous power And there were angels doing his bidding. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. Angels are servants, and they're out to help and serve us as the adopted children of God. Angels judge. Two men came to the city gate of Sodom. Two men get out of this city before we destroy it. Not get out of this city before God destroys it. God was going to destroy the city of Sodom because we know that from Genesis 18 where God reasoned with Abraham. But when God chose to destroy the city of Sodom, He sent two angels to do it. And so they come as judges like they did with Herod in Acts 12 that we just read. How about the 70,000 that died from germ warfare when God sent the angel of the Lord to judge Israel? When David said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord for three days. And that pestilence took the lives of 70,000. God sends his angels to judge. The Bible tells us that in the last day, the angels are going to help God separate the just from the wicked in the great day of judgment. But brethren, angels comfort. Angels comfort and help. And when those two angels came to burn up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain for their sodomy and their other sins, Lot lingered. Lot did not want to get out of town the way the angels told him to. And so how did the angels help Lot? They took him by the hand and got him out of town. And we are we are comforted in that way by looking at that example of the angels helping them do something, helping Lot do something. He didn't really have a heart for because they were looking out for his best interests 
And so they comforted him, even though he thought he wanted to stay. Did angels comfort Hagar? Gloriously so. On more than one occasion. When Jacob was going to meet Esau, the whole, a whole host of angels met Jacob and comforted him that he could go forward and meet Esau and all would be well. When Elijah was fleeing from Jezebel, an angel helped him. When three Hebrew young men were in the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, who helped them? An angel of the Lord. What did he look like to Nebuchadnezzar? He looked like the Son of God, even though Nebuchadnezzar had no idea what the Son of God looked like. It looked, it looked like a man that must have been the Son of God. It looked like God in a human form standing in that fiery furnace. But Genesis 3.28 tells us that God sent His angels. And how good were the angels with fire? Could they be a decent fire department? Were they singed? Was the smell of smoke on their clothing? No. What a glorious deliverance. It's in the Word of God to encourage our faith and all of our children to rejoice. God can save from anything. And when God saves, it's thorough. It's thorough and it's glorious. He sent His angel and He stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Was the fire hot? What happened to the the mightiest men of Nebuchadnezzar's army that threw those three on their way? They were slain by the fire that leaped out of the furnace that had been heated seven times more than its specks. But the Lord delivered by His angels. They're they're throughout the Bible, brethren. I'm just giving you a few little samples. They are throughout the Bible. They're in the first book of the Bible. They're in the last book of the Bible. And they're in between. The Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we we underemphasize spiritual things many times because we are so carnal and worldly minded. But the Lord Jesus Christ, and I would like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and you quizzers should know this chapter and know what I'm turning you to. In Matthew chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, after His baptism, was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted during that time and was very hungry. In a weakened condition, the devil came after him. In that condition, what could help? What help did God send? And here we read it in verse 11 of Matthew 4. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Angels came and served the Lord Jesus Christ after that severe temptation. And we read about the next verse. In several places, Jesus Christ came out of that wilderness and began His preaching ministry of three and a half years. But it was angels that comforted Him and strengthened Him. We do not see them. We do not hear them. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by hearing. But when you are comforted after a temptation and given renewed strength, where do you think that comes from? We can say the Holy Spirit and you would be right. We can say the angels of God, and you would be right. God sends His comforters to help us. There is one great divine comforter, the Holy Spirit, but there are smaller, millions of of smaller comforters called the angels of God, and even the Lord Jesus Christ was served by the angels of God. When we look in the Gospel of Matthew, or, or Luke, let's go to Luke and come over to Luke chapter 22, 
at the end of our Lord's ministry, we're going to find those angels again. Luke chapter 22. What do angels do? We're talking about their functions. Angels praise God. Angels reveal things to His saints. Angels serve. Angels judge. And right now we're looking at the fact that angels comfort God's people. And we're looking at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 22, our Lord is in the Garden of Gethsemane and He is praying with such earnestness that it says He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him. Sometimes you have been facing a fearful situation in your life and you don't know what to do and you don't feel that you can handle it and then it's handled or you are given strength and confidence and faith that you're going to be able to handle it and you're not sure where it came from. You're just able to handle it. How do you know that it wasn't an angel that came and strengthened you and ministered to you? It did the Lord Jesus Christ and we're thankful. I love the Apostle Paul when he was with Luke on a ship in Acts 27 and 28. The storm was so bad they hadn't seen the sun for 14 days. You ever been in a storm that bad in a ship? 14 days they did not see the sun. But an angel of the Lord came and stood beside Paul one night and said, Fear not, not a single man's going to be lost, not a hair of their heads are going to be lost. And Paul, after having the angel strengthen him that way, broke out the food and said, Be of good cheer. God hath spoken to me this night, and there's not going to be the loss of a single life. And so they took the remaining food they had on board and ate in the middle of a storm where they hadn't seen the sun for 14 days. Then they got Paul's conclusion to his little suggestion to eat. However, we will be cast upon a certain island. (laughs) There was going to be a shipwreck, but not a single one was going to be lost, and not a single hair lost, because an angel had strengthened him and told him, Of course, we don't have them appearing to us like the Apostle Paul, but they are still active in the world. There's not a verse in the Bible that says the angels are going to cease to be active. And we have been protected so many times in our lives like we heard even tonight or this afternoon by our young brother. And we believe that. Angels should have an effect in our lives. They should affect us. Learning about them should cause certain things to happen in our souls. First of all, they discourage fear. Why would we be afraid if the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that feareth him and delivereth them? If God's angels, the angel of the Lord specifically, camps around us, why would we be afraid of anything? We should remember the Lord opening the eyes of the young servant so that he would see the chariots of fire that were filling the mountain all around Elisha. Are you that way about things in life? When you get in a plane, and you're wondering if Bernelli's principle really works, which causes a wing by the curved surface on top of the wing to create reduced air pressure from the pressure that's under the wing, so that it's the reduced pressure on top of a wing that lifts a plane, not the air underneath the wing. The air underneath a wing does not lift a plane, and nor does the air that is inside a sail pull a sailboat. It's the air on the outside of the sail that pulls a sailboat by pulling the sail, and it's the air over the wing. 
But now how do you get comfort when you're sitting on a runway and the plane starts to shake as they run the RPM, RPMs up a little bit and they're about to let go? Do you wonder if Bernelli was right, if he got straight A's on all of his homework? Or are you saying, the angels of God are with me, and if this thing falters, they're just going to hook onto it with their chariot and pull me on to the destination airport? Where is your faith? Amen. It ought to be in the Lord and His angels. Right. Children, when there's a storm at night, and there's bolts of lightning flying around, are you afraid of those bolts of lightning? The angels can spit and put them out. The angels can take a bolt of lightning and tie it into a pretzel and throw it in a boiler and make a pretzel. Angels can deliver you. And so there ought not to be fear in a child of God's life. They've got the will to help because they're our servants. They've got the power to help because they're angels. And there's enough to go around so you can have your own. They're not going to get busy with someone else while you face a difficult task. Angels should cause us to live without fear because God created them for our protection. Even at the hour of death, what are they there for? To make sure our soul and spirit are not lost. A spirit is a difficult thing for you to get a hold of. You'd be running around the room like crazy trying to grab a spirit, wouldn't you? You'd be throwing a net and it would never get the spirit. But an angel is a spirit. And when you die and your spirit leaves your body, that angel with his chariot takes your soul and spirit and carries it into heaven. This is the record of the Bible. Why should we fear at death? Who cares about the body? We just sang a song that said, I'm glad I was born to die, to get rid of this thing. Not to get rid of our soul and spirit. And the angels will make sure they carry it into heaven. You can't see your spirit and you can't see my spirit, but the angels can see them both. And the angels won't lose one. You say, well, I'm too poor. I'm too poor to have a hearse like that at my funeral. You think so? Let me tell you about Lazarus. Have you ever felt this poor? Lazarus was laid at the gate of a rich man, and he was so poor that dogs came and licked his sores. He didn't have a nurse to wash his sores. He didn't have a mother to wash his sores. He didn't have a sister to take care of his sores. The dogs licked the pus running out of his sores as he was laid at the gate of a rich man's house. Let me tell you about his hearse for his funeral. It was the chariots of God. And they did not lose him. And he was in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, who could have afforded the greatest hearse that the city of Jerusalem had to offer, lifted up his eyes in hell and saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And that's where we're all going. We are going there fast too, brethren. And we need to believe these things. We need to believe swing low, sweet chariot. We need to believe how sweet to die that we just sang. Sweet angels are beckoning me. How sweet to die. Because they're going to carry us to heaven. If that, if they take away the fear of death, what other fear is there? If you're afraid of the dark at night, children, there's an angel camped in your room. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. You don't have to be afraid of a whole crowd. When the pastor asks you to get up and say something in front of the whole church, oh, and you look out and there's so many and you're just trembling and shaking, the angels are with you and they'll protect you. No matter what you do in your life, the angels are there because God sent them to be your servants. And we should rejoice in them and be thankful for them. 
You know, you shouldn't be frustrated with your life because angels discourage frustration. Do things ever happen to you when you're driving along and you just saw a light turn green, so therefore it ought to be green for 30 to 60 seconds, and it turns red immediately and catches you? Don't get too angry at that light. Because if you get angry at that light, you are as bad off... (laughs) I'm preaching to all of us. If you get angry at that light, you're as bad off as Balaam, who was riding along on his ass, and the ass turned off the road and took him over and crushed his leg against a wall. And Balaam beat the thing. And then the ass said back to Balaam, Why are you beating me? I've been a good ass for you all my life. I'm telling you the truth, brother. It's Numbers 22 through 24. Go read it. Laugh yourself silly with holy laughter. Balaam is riding along on an ass, and the ass crushes his leg because it went out of the road into a ditch against a wall. And the conversation takes place between Balaam and the ass. Then the Lord opens up the eyes of a grown man. And guess what was in the way? The angel of the Lord was in the way. And the ass could see it, but Balaam couldn't. Does that tell you how we think sometimes? We think below an ass. The ass knew he couldn't go forward. He had to go left or right. And I'm telling you, when things happen in your life where you're doing everything that you know God expects with a reasonable effort, and things pop up that you weren't planning on, do you know what I'm telling you? How do you know there wasn't an angel in the way that caused that traffic light to turn so quickly I don't care if it had been timed that way ten years ago for the one event of you arriving at it today. God is able to arrange that for your protection. Don't be frustrated with the things of life because how do you know angels aren't manipulating them to protect you by holding you with that light while there's a traffic accident the next light? You say, you read the Bible that carefully? I want to read the Bible that carefully. I want to read about Balaam and see what I can learn. Because I don't want to be dumber than an ass. And I'm using that word in the Bible sense of the word. Help your children if you think they're going to go to school tomorrow and tell their teacher what the topic was at church on Sunday. You shouldn't fret with auto failure. You know when you go out there and you turn the key? Mm, 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 mm. Doesn't start? How do you know that there's not an angel standing over that hood shorting you with his fingers? How do you know? You say, you're, no, I'm not making this up. There's angels all around us and they're involved in our lives and they're our servants. If they're our servants, then they must be involved in our lives. If God sent them to be the servants of the heirs of eternal life, then they are protecting us. If you've taken every precaution and you get out of your car without kicking it, breaking it, or saying anything you shouldn't, and you go ahead and fix it in the normal course of business, and you trust that God had some reason... And do you know this would change our lives if we really believe this? It would change my... Forget you, if, if you're all well on this subject, it would change my life if I believe this. And I want to believe this. That when I've done my reasonable best, and God throws a stick in my spokes, it's because there's a reason for it. It's an angel's finger in my spokes. That doesn't mean we don't fix the car. It just means we don't curse the car for it not operating for us. Because how do you know it wasn't an angel that stopped it from running in order to protect you? When I read the Bible about these angels, you know, we ought not to get frustrated again as long as we're doing our reasonable best. Now, if you fail, you know, that's your problem. 
If you have a battery that's eight years old and had a three-year warranty, that's your fault. Don't blame the angel for that. But I'm talking about when you've done your reasonable best. Those of you that aren't married yet and wish you were married, how did the servant of Abraham find such a wonderful woman named Rebecca, who was beautiful, a virgin, and so gracious that when the servant said, Would you give me a drink? She not only gave him a drink, but started pulling five-gallon pails of water for all of his camels. How? An angel led Abraham's servant to the right place to be at the well at the right time, brethren. You say, where's the well? (laughs) Where's the well? You just go about in your ordinary course of business and trust God for a wife and do everything you can to find one. And if you're a woman, why don't you pretend you're a little bit like Ruth and look for a husband and trust God to lead you to the right one. He will lead you to the right one. You say, well, I wish he'd have done it a long time ago. He's got a better one than that for you. Trust him. Isaac was thankful for the Rebecca that he got. And this is how we ought to believe and not be frustrated with, with things that take longer than we think they should because God is looking out for us and his angels will take care of us. But I'm going to jump back and say one thing. It's the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. If you don't fear God and you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't praise God and worship him, then the angels just might protect you from an early and untimely death. But they're not all that excited about bringing blessings into your life because you don't really fear the Lord. If we fear the Lord and love the Lord Jesus Christ, His angels are motivated to serve us. Because the verse does have a condition in it. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. You know, the Bible tells us that we ought to entertain strangers and be hospitable because some have entertained angels unawares. And the example that we turn to in the Bible is Abraham sitting in his tent and seeing three men approaching that tent. And there was the Lord and a couple of angels. And he fixed a meal as fast as he could. He sent Sarah out one way, a young man out another way, and he occupied them while the stuff was on the stove. And he fixed a meal for them as fast as he could. The Bible is going to tell us in heaven that if we've given even a cup of cold water to one of his disciples in the name of a disciple or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God will remember it and make mention of it. Who told the Lord that we did such a thing? The the watchers and the holy ones. They report those things because they're always beholding the face of their Father in heaven and seeing what we do. And so there's even an encouragement from angels to be hospitable. What about praying to God for him to send his angels to help? Is that scriptural? Manoah prayed for God to send an angel back that appeared to his wife because he felt left out. Samson's father, do you remember? He came home from work one day and his wife said, he he told her what he had done in the field that day and she told him, well, I met an angel of God and he told me I'm going to have a son and he's going to be such and such and here's how we ought to take care of him and I want to see him. And so Mr. Samson, Sr., Manoah, prayed that God would send that angel again. And God did send that angel again. And he spoke to Manoah. Look at Psalm 35. 35 and see David praying for him to use his angels. This is a pretty scary passage. But it's not scary when you fear the Lord. This is scary when you don't fear the Lord because it's describing David's prayer against
his enemies. Notice how the psalm starts out. He said, plead my cause, O Lord. David had enemies that were striving with him and that were fighting against him. And he asked the Lord to fight on his behalf. And he says in verse 5, his enemies, let them be as chaff before the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. And let the angel of the Lord persecute them. This is the prayer of a man with a heart after the Lord's own heart. This is David praying against his enemies that the angel of the Lord would chase them and the angel of the Lord would persecute them. It is not ungodly to pray for God's angels. You don't pray to the angel. You pray to God to send his angels. Angels should encourage us to righteousness. If the angels are watchers, what do you think you do that the angels don't see? Do you think because you closed your bedroom door they don't get in? Do you think because you have your computer password protected, the angels can't see? They're called watchers. Now, are there any verses in the Bible that warn us about things like this? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. How does God motivate ministers to be impartial in the way that they deal with the church? That they would not excuse something in one member while condemning it in another member. How does God encourage and motivate ministers to be impartial? Listen to the words. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another doing nothing by partiality. How did God get the attention of Timothy? How did Paul get the attention of Timothy? By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I charge you in the name of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels who watch all the transactions of a minister with his people. Do nothing by partiality. You be fair and consistent across the whole spectrum of the membership. This should fit perfectly with what we've already learned from Daniel chapter 4 about Nebuchadnezzar, about the watchers coming down and saying, this matter is by our decree. You are too proud and arrogant about your accomplishments in Babylon. It's God that raises up the basest of men. And it was them that sent him out to pasture for seven years. Because angels see the things that we do. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Angels are everywhere. They hear what you say. And it ought to guard our tongues even if there's no one else around that hears what we say. That it should guard our thoughts. It should guard our actions. Where we go and what we do. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is a chapter about making vows. Sometimes we make vows and then we find out that it's going to be more expensive to pay that vow or keep that vow than we originally thought. And so there's a temptation to say, well, I really didn't mean it. I made a mistake. Here's what God has to say about that approach to vows. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth. Cause thy flesh to sin. Don't make vows hastily and presumptuously and get yourself into trouble. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? You open your mouth and say, I didn't really mean to make that vow. It was a mistake. I'm not going to pay it. 
Notice where God says you're saying that before. The angel, and God's going to find out about it, and God is going to destroy the work of your hands and be angry at thy voice. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Why ought women to have long hair, according to the Bible? Because long hair is a covering that God gave the woman. It's a shame for a man to have long hair, but for a woman it's her glory. This is all found in 1 Corinthians 11. It's her glory, it's a covering, and it's a symbol of authority over her head. When she wears long hair, she shows that she's under the authority of a man. Ought the woman power on her head because of the angels? Now you might think that verse is a little obscure. The woman ought to have power on her head. Well, she doesn't really get power up there like electrical power. She puts a symbol up on her head that shows she's under authority. And what is that symbol? Well, it's described for us in this context. It's in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. That hair that she grows is a covering is a glory. It does make a woman more attractive. But more than that, far beyond that, it's a symbol of that she's under authority. And so when we read the words, the woman ought to have power on her head, it's a symbol of her being under the of a man. On her head, by the covering of long hair. And it says, because of the angels. Because angels understand authority and they are observing everything that we do. And when a woman starts to act like a man, and one of the ways she can do that is to cut her hair very short, The angels are offended by that action because you're no longer wearing that symbol of authority on your head. Angels take authority very, very carefully. Do you know how carefully they take authority? When Michael and the devil were wrestling, were fighting for the body of Moses, Michael did not bring a railing accusation against the devil. You say, well, anybody ought to be able to say anything they want to about the devil. Not even Michael brought a railing accusation against the devil because God had put that devil in a very important position in heaven. And Michael still showed respect for the power and ability and office that God had given Lucifer himself. It goes this far to say in Second Peter chapter 2 and Jude, the one chapter it's got, that angels don't even bring a railing accusation against men in offices of authority in this world. You tell jokes about the Bush family. They don't tell jokes about men in authority. Because that is speaking evil of dignitaries and angels respect authority because they are called principalities, powers, thrones, might, and dominion. They are used to respecting authority, brethren. And they cannot stand it when someone gets out of line relative to authority because they don't get out of line. Let that sober us. The Bible tells us, I suppose you want to see it since we're running out of time. I'll show it to you anyway. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. These verses are so weighty and they're so seldom taught anymore. It's so easy for us to make jokes about those in authority. But we shouldn't do that. Do you know what the Bible said about children that even, that even make light of their parents? They should be cut off from, from Israel, put to death, even to set light about parents. Because when you are in an office that God created, it should be honored and respected and obeyed. 
2 Peter 2.11, I'll get verse 10. Chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. This is a description of wicked men who despise government. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They should be afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, back to the wicked men, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. God will crush men who speak evil of dignities and despise government and speak against government foolishly, impulsively, impetuously, irreverently. Even angels, when they appear before God, do not bring railing accusations against human rulers. They speak soberly. They point out the errors of those rulers, but they do not make jokes about them or accuse them of things that are not true or that are not proven. Let us be sober in the way we talk about all those that are in authority. Angels encourage righteousness. Brethren, if angels are watchers and holy ones, are they watching what you watch on television? If they're watching what you watch on television, what should you be watching on television? Very, very little. So that when they report back about what you were watching on television, they're reporting something that you were not watching, things that were feeding your flesh and the lascivious parts of your soul. They are the holy ones and they are the watchers that the Bible tells us about. We have seen military history from a standpoint of the angels of God. We've seen a verse that should comfort our children. We've seen that the angels comforted and strengthened the Lord Jesus Christ, and they play active roles in our lives. They saved Balaam from himself. And we could go on. They pulled Peter out of prison twice in the first 12 chapters of Acts. But brethren, those, those angels are sent, according to Hebrews 1.14, to be the servants of the heirs of eternal life. Are you an heir of eternal life? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in order to be born again, but to lay hold of that eternal life for the assurance of your own soul, because it is only those that are born again that would ever believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The angels worship Jesus Christ. How much more should we worship Him? Amen. He's our Lord and our Savior. And it's only those that fear God and love the Lord Jesus Christ that the angels are servants for. Are you one that the God has created and sent angels to take care of? Because you have chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and obey Him. And that choice on your part is because He first worked it in you. Because it is with fear and trembling that we work out what God first worked in us. But do not, do not take these promises of God sending His angels to deliver us if you do not fear Him. The angel of the Lord is not camping near you. If the things of this life are more important to you than the things of heaven, the angels see that, know that, and they'll treat you accordingly. Let us be a church that loves the spiritual things of heaven, including the angels that God's created for us. We don't worship them. We don't want to worship them. We want to worship God, whom they worship as well. But we are so thankful that He's done so much for us as the heirs of salvation. They desire to look into what God has done for us because He's done more for us than He did for any of them. The angels that sinned, He cast out of heaven, down to hell, and reserved in everlasting chains for eternal torment. 
we sinned. And instead of casting us down to hell and binding us in chains, He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to lay down His life, holding back the angels that wanted to deliver Him so that we could be saved and be the sons of God. And the angels desire to look into these things and God is giving them an object lesson of His manifold wisdom by how He loves and takes care of us, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is now head over all angels, principalities, and powers, might, throne, and dominion, and every name that is named in this world and in the world to come. Why? For the church. Jesus is head of all those things for your benefit and my benefit. We will not be lost in this world or in the world to come. We shall be saved with an everlasting salvation because the army of heaven is committed to our care. What can you fear? What should you worry about? Lord Jesus, come and take us home. Yeah. Yeah.